My name is Michael Strumsky, and this is my podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. Each episode, I'll interview a person with a different background to try to understand what circumstances, family, or tragedy has made them into the individual they are today. Enjoy. Today, I have with me is Andrew Heiser. We've known each other since, uh, let me think. 2009 because that's when we were both on the same hall together and i guess everyone intermingled then and we just made a huge bunch of friends from it yeah and you are another augusta county person or individual from augusta county i mean you are the good ones who will do interviews with me that's what it it seems you know it's weird because i feel like you are like uh i don't know we're like your dairy to Stephen King. Um, <laughs> what, what did you say? I heard you say dairy. What is that? Uh, you know, like uh, Stephen King novels. Like mm-hmm. he always goes back to the same town, and I think it's mm-hmm. Maine. I think it's Dairy, Maine. I didn't know I, that. If if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, Stephen King. Because <laughs> I I know that they do a couple like uh what what's that cast not Castle Rock uh what's that one with the prison I I know it's connected to Shawshank but the new show uh, that they were doing it was like Castle Rock or something like that with Shawshank in it yeah it doesn't matter yeah but it was on Hulu and stuff like that I think it was Castle Rock I have not watched it but Castle Rock either sounds like a kid's show with Muppets because I hear Fraggle Rock or it's the <laughs> name Rock. of where the Lannisters are from in Game of Thrones yeah. it's one of the two <laughs> wait isn't that one called Castle Rock Casterly Rock, I, I okay. believe. <laughs> they're very close. They're both very close. I mean, there could be some type of like uh, meta mashup yeah. or something with that. There could be, yeah. So tell me a little bit about, I guess, I, just like everyone else, where you're from, your family, and kind of what your upbringing was like. Okay. So I am from Middlebrook, Virginia, which is in Augusta County. Um, I grew up on a beef cattle farm. Uh, my father worked when I was really young. He worked at, uh, like their family dairy growing up and then the dairy shut down. Um, and he kind of transitioned over to beef cattle. Uh, and then after the dairy shut down, he kind of went out and, uh, he worked at Best Buy for a little while in their distribution center and then went on to work at Target in their distribution center. And then my mother was a school teacher, fourth grade school teacher for as long as I can remember. Um, but rural community, um, I guess I guess you would say tight knit, uh, like everybody knows everybody type deal. Um, Did the dairy just shut down? Was there any like? So my grandfather actually, uh, I guess he had gotten or he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. In that time frame, I think they also were looking at uh, updating the dairy to keep up with, like, Mm -hmm. I guess, FDA requirements and things like that. And to do that, the costs were going to be so tremendous. It just wasn't feasible. So Mm -hmm. they thought, you know, this is probably a good time to kind of phase that out and Mm -hmm. move on to other things because they didn't have a lot of commitment from everybody to kind of go in on it. It just seems weird to me that your dad transitioned from milking the cows to sending the cows off to get slaughtered. Is that <laughs> like it? Would you say that's a big? I, 
to me, it I mean, sounds like a big transition, but it, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things like, I know a lot of people look at that as like, oh, that's a horrible thing. You slaughter cows or, you know, you're still doing this, that, or the other. But I mean, you know, you look at a lot of these small farms um, and the people, you know, are taking care of their cattle, like almost like pets, you know. The only downside is then when their time to, you know, feed the world is there, you know, they they go on. It's just kind of a way of life. And I think like, and, and, and you know, Kyle uh, Kramer, you'd interviewed previously, kind of hit on this, like growing up in that lifestyle, you see a lot of things that while it really stinks and it might be sad, it is kind of like life. Like, you know, sometimes animals get sick and sometimes animals die. So I feel like it introduces you that to that like death at an early mm-hmm. age, you know, because uh, I don't remember like in, in our family, like our grandparents, some of the first ones to pass away that I remember that was in high school when we were older. So I didn't lose like a family member or things like when I was really, really young. So I don't know if that's like the best comparison, but you know, seeing yeah. some of that stuff and like the, the circle of life, I guess, as mm-hmm. it were, uh, it, it kind of just gets you used to that at an early age. Yeah, no, I get that. So was there any pressure from your, your dad or your mom? I, I know I asked this to Kyle, you have an older sister and it's just yeah. you, you're the only son in the family. No, not really. I mean, I, I think it's something that he certainly wants to like, see us continue uh, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been like a thing i guess as we've gotten older it hasn't been a thing i know when we were younger like we would do shows and things and i know like my dad would get really excited about it so he was kind of like always oh let's let's go to this show let's go to this show like showing beef cattle and stuff mm-hmm. um so i guess at a younger age i was always like oh man this is annoying or like i don't i don't know if i really want to go to these shows and do this and do that but you know, it was something something to do and it was something you could learn stuff from. So, uh, but as we've gotten older, like I still help when I can on stuff, but you know, it's one of those things where he's not like, you've got to come help us do this. You've got to come help us do that. Save the farm type thing. Yeah. I think, you know, I would love to do more on the farm, but it's one of those things like it's really hard to do both. Uh, yeah, and then then also have kids. Dad grew up and he would work all day at Target, come home, then go out for a few hours and do stuff with the cows and stuff like that, and then come in and just be like exhausted. And I'm not sure I want to like do that because I, I I do want to have time to spend with like uh, my kids and my wife and and things like that. Not that he didn't spend time with us, but it's just like it's one more thing, I guess, when you can. No, I get it. Yeah. But yeah. I definitely want to do more, but it is a very, it's a very big commitment because it's just very expensive and <laughs> you're not always making all your money back. Uh, so from, I guess, when I, what I see from you guys is it's more of a tradition than an actual, uh, I mean, obviously, like you said, you make money and, and uh, stuff like that, but it's more of a tradition in the area you know what i mean like yeah, how many yeah. people don't have cattle there is that like a a predominant thing you would say i'd say 50 50 i guess because i always mm-hmm. look at it as like 
there are actual farmers out there that do it for a living and they would look at me and be like oh well, you're, that's just a hobby like it has the potential to be a very expensive hobby not that i really don't know about other people's hobbies i'm sure everybody has expensive mm. hobbies but it's one of those like you know it's rewarding but at the same time it can you know when you've got a when you've got a family and a house and things like that you know it's one more thing to have to spend money on and keep up or yeah. like a vet, you know like if you have to call the vet to come look at a cow or something you know depending on what it is it costs several hundred dollars or several thousand yeah um, yeah yeah because so. one of the things uh that didn't make it on kyle's podcast i was at i was talking to him about the uh birthing a a calf and i was just <laughs> like i can't even see how calves are born by themselves like how how did that even happen before people were pulling these calves out of these cows? Like it must've took in like three days to get this calf out. But like usually, I, usually it doesn't, you know, unless, unless there's a problem, but I think, and that's one thing like we kind of do is we look for a cow or a bull stats. So like if they have a, a lower uh, calving weight, then like the calves will be small. So they'll be easier for the cows to birth. But if you get like a bull with a really high birth weight, then the calves are going to be larger. The cows may have problems. So we always look at those stats and try to gear towards what's going to be easier on the cow. And then ultimately what's going to be easier on us, uh, you know, so we don't have to be out there trying to pull and stress the cow and then call in a vet to help do mm -hmm. it and all this stuff. So when did you know that you wanted to be in law enforcement for whatever reason i don't know i felt like i wanted to be in law enforcement from when i was like little little i remember i can't, i think it was like it might have been like third or fourth grade where you had some thing where you talked with the teacher about what you want to do when you grow up and i was like i want to be a police officer because you know i i don't know i wanted to help people and you know, I guess like the generic answer for, for why you want to be in law enforcement. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is these days, but I, I just I just felt like I wanted to help people. And, and that's what I tried to do when I was in in that profession. <laughs> so that fits with your type six Enneagram, the committed security oriented type. Sixes are reliable, hardworking, responsible and trustworthy. Excellent troubleshooters. Uh, good with cooperation, but can also become defensive, evasive, and anxious, running <laughs> on stress while complaining about it. <laughs> that sounds right. That sounds so, right. <laughs> of you're probably maybe like number one or top three of my probably most reliable, not just reliable, but also probably nicest friends I have. And I mean, not saying where I'm from, we're not nice. We're just more. Different. Just different. Yeah, just different. There's, there's just no different. there's no way to describe it. It's just it's just different. We're seasoned. <laughs> yeah, we're seasoned. Uh but yeah, when when I read through this, definitely touches on big points. Like like we were talking before, the big people that are on here. And I said there was a lot of good ones, but I mean Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, oh, uh, <laughs> U2's Bono. Here's a good one, Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, Not too okay. good right now. Okay, if you would, <laughs> if I would have said that five years ago, you would have said it was good. Uh, Larry David, uh, Mark Twain, 
There's also some good ones here. So you said law enforcement was always, I assume it was your go-to answer whenever anyone asked you, what did you want to do? And it just stuck, yes. right? Yeah, I, th- I think it did. I, that might not have been the, you know, I just say seeing where I'm at now. Maybe it wasn't the best thing, but I felt like I was committed to that. And that's what I wanted to do, you know, when I was young, when somebody asked you what you want to do. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was like for me. I mean, I went, everyone asked me what I wanted to be. And I said, an architect. And by the time I get to college, didn't make it in. So just go completely, well, not completely different direction, but you just adapt, I guess. Right. Uh, But uh, so tell me kind of how it went with law enforcement after college. So graduated from college. uh, I worked at my job that I kind of worked through college and high school. Uh, at, it was a, a landscaping uh, center. And oddly enough, what I went to college for was agricultural science, which included like a modern uh, horticulture and uh, international agriculture. I still don't know what that is, but <laughs> that's, that's what it was. Uh, so didn't really like, didn't really do anything associated with criminal justice or anything. And Virginia Tech really didn't have that type of option when when I went through it, I don't know if they offer anything now that would be similar, but that was another thing. I think going in, I can't say that I really wanted to go to college, but it was kind of an expectation that that would have been an expectation for my parents to say, we think it's really important that you go to college and get a four year degree in something. And I don't know, I probably didn't take it seriously enough going into it and kind of just winged it. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I learned a lot, but I probably could have done a lot more to like gear towards like or focus in on what I wanted to do. Um, but after graduating, and I worked for probably that summer. And then there was an opening at our local sheriff's office. And I was like, oh, OK, I'll, I'll try to put in for it. And went in and interviewed and got it. And uh, so there's no training for that. Like a well, like a so, year type one. So once you once you're hired, I went to an 18 week academy, and then it and that's where kind of like I look at law enforcement, and I think like it's when people talk about reform, it's probably one of the things that they need to reform. The agency that I was with, uh, I think I may have field trained for about five weeks after I got out of that 18 week academy, which the academy is a very basic. This is what you need to do. Very extremely basic. Doesn't really show you what you need to know. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like cornerstones of what you need to know. And they give you evaluations on scenarios. And if you do good, then you pass. I guess it's like a pass fail type thing. Um, like once you get to your department, depending on the department, uh, the normal field training time that I've heard from most departments is between 14 and 18 weeks. I was about five weeks before, like, I was sent out on my own and they were like, well, you know, if you get a call, uh, we're going to we're going to try to get somebody else out to you. But just go out and see what you can do. <laughs> I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, I, I think like during the first several months that I was like on the road doing patrol, I was extremely conflicted because I was like, I, I don't feel like I've had the training that I need. 
But at the same time, I was like, well, you know, I've been working for them for this 18 week academy. I feel like I owe them like enough time. So, I mean, I I was on borderline of like saying, you know, I just need to quit because I don't feel like I'm trained for this. And, you know, I'm, I'm responding to domestics. I'm responding to psychological emergencies, uh, all types of things. But fortunately I was with a, with a shift that really helped me. And, you know, they would come answer calls with me if I needed help and things like that. But it's, it's a, it was an extremely stressful time. I'm <laughs> just <laughs> extremely stressful time. <laughs> Yeah, I can even imagine yeah. just with us talking about your Enneagram of uh, hardworking, responsible and trustworthy. And the biggest thing is they foresee problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what kind of stuff did you learn at the Academy? Like, I obviously, when people hear that, they think, oh, immediately shooting range. So, yeah, that was like uh, maybe a week. Uh, we had a week of like shooting range practice or whatever. And for Virginia, uh, like the minimum or basically you have to shoot a 70, like, which I've always thought was extremely odd for like, you know, if you shoot a 70, you're good. But, and when I first started, because all of my experience with firearms up to that point had been like rifles and shotguns, I really had no experience with handguns. So when I first started shooting, I was in that, like that, uh, I think I maybe scored like a 75 or something when I first shot. I was like, Ooh, man, I, I've got to do better than that. <laughs> like, so by the end of my career, I was in like the low nineties for, uh, for shooting. But when you look at that, I'm like, 70 is awfully low for like a, a qualified person. You know, 70 is like what I would expect from, somebody walking off the street type deal but yeah um so shooting was one and then like you do like a week of driving and we had like this uh you call it like a podunk racetrack it's called east side speedway and that's where we did our uh like driver's training so we offensive break. yeah don't they call it something like offensive uh i don't know the terminology but i've heard about it through like fbi and other groups that they have stuff I don't know, like I don't that. Know if what we do is comparable to the FBI, but <laughs> but basically, just you know uh, what to expect from your vehicle when you're operating at higher speeds. You know, you know about how fast or how much you can push your vehicle before you would perhaps lose control of it or something like that. Because mm -hmm. I feel like that's a you know when you look at uh, law enforcement statistics on uh, causes of death and things like uh, deaths in the line of duty. A lot of times, you know, traffic crashes are one of those. And it's because, unfortunately, people are pushing cars more than what they can drive them. And they get themselves in a situation and they crash and then they can't help anybody. <laughs> yeah. The, the biggest question people probably ask you is, have you shot anybody before? I've not shot anybody. I've not shot anybody. Thank God. Um, I feel like there was. There was one time where I thought that it was about to happen and it just the situation changed and thank god it did um but it's just one of those things that you know i always look back on that moment i'm like if if something else had happened or changed it would be a totally different story um but thankfully the 
person kind of made a good decision. <laughs> Any other situation? Okay, so we live in a rural area, but it's still busy with traffic and stuff. And uh, towards the city of Stanton, there's like a bypass that goes around called 262. And uh, one day we had gotten like, I don't know how many calls, but the calls just kept coming in randomly that there was a cow out loose in the road running around crazy. And we got like the areas that we were getting the calls from were far enough apart to where it was like you wouldn't think that the cow would be traveling that quickly but i guess she was <laughs> because you get a call at this one location and then like probably you know two miles away you get the call and be like well she's over here now she's over here now so we were like well there must be a bunch of cows out or something somewhere and they've just all got now well this kept going on from like I don't know. It, it started in the afternoon because I came on for night shift and it went like late to the night. And I think about 12 or one in the morning, we got a call and I was like, I sat at one location because we got another call. So I'm like, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait until the next person calls. I'm going to be close by. So I get out there and there's a cow. And from the way she's acting and just from how I've seen cows and grown up with cows, I don't know if somebody had already hit her and like left but she was acting crazy or she maybe had like i don't know if she had rabies or or what but mm -hmm. <laughs> she was not acting like a normal cow <laughs> like really really high-headed upset um and you would know that i mean with your past too yeah yeah just just wasn't just wasn't acting quite right so we had uh i was trying to like find an area where i could like kind of find her and there was like one field that i knew that was down the road and i was like okay i know there's a gate down there somewhere so if i just get down there get somebody to open the gate i'm gonna bring her down that way and get her going uh well whoever it was or when i tried to do it the cow did not go the way i wanted it to go and she like ran the opposite direction ends up going up on this bypass 262 and it was raining at the time in the middle of the night raining and every time and this is like it's marked like 55 miles an hour but most people go like 60 65 on it if you're a um, local yeah 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 so people were coming down the road and for whatever reason whenever she saw the headlights she would like run straight for the headlights so i'm like this this cow is going to go into somebody's car it's only a matter of time. So I've talked to my supervisor. I'm like, I need some more people up here to like block off the road to see if we can get her off. Things weren't, weren't going anywhere. She kept running towards the cars. I had one guy bring like a toe strap and said he was going to rope her. I was like, no, you're not. <laughs> I was like, what are you going to do when you rope her? So he tried and he like got drugged down the road and I was like, this this isn't working <laughs> so we get to an area where i see that there's a clearing and like there's a hillside that goes up and she's kind of headed that way and i call my supervisor and i was like look i really hate to have to say this but if she gets to this hillside i'm i'm gonna shoot her because she's running towards these cars 
she's going to go into somebody's windshield. I don't want to see a cow on somebody's windshield because that, that's going to kill somebody. Um, and, and we've spent enough time trying to get her to where she needs to go. So I get out of my car. It's, it's still pouring rain. I've got my shotgun and I run up <laughs> and I end up shooting her. And <laughs> I always reference the, uh, the me, myself and Irene movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. When when he's got the cow on the side of the road that's been hit, and for whatever reason, like this this cow would not die. Like she was she was on the she was on the ground, and she would not die. And I was just like, "You've got to be kidding me!" Because I I, I take no joy in in like doing this to the cow, but <laughs> like to to preserve life of somebody driving down the road, it just had to be done, and. Would not, would not die. I don't know how many times I shot that cow. <laughs> There's a report on it somewhere because I wrote a big report because I was like, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Somebody's going to complain. I'm going to have a complaint. But uh, so, there's a report on file somewhere. <laughs> was that a, was that a like I would imagine using <laughs> the shotgun? You've got a much longer report. Isn't like every time you shot, you have to justify. Uh, for, for animals, not at least, at least where we're at, not for usually, animals. Usually you don't write a report. I just thought because of the scenario that I was going to write a report to cover me. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody else would have even wrote a report, but I thought it necessary due to the circumstances. <laughs> you were, you were trying to foresee future problems. You would say I was, I was, <laughs> and, no, and makes... I, I could definitely foresee future problems with that. How slow were you with? Like, I, I mean, you know me, I, I probably couldn't do that. Like, sadly, I'd probably let people just run and hit her, which would probably cause a lot more deaths. But like, how slow were you to like do that? Like you got the shotgun. Were you able to do it immediately walking up to her? Oh, well, once I did it, like I tried to do it pretty quick, but, you know, she was a she had a fighting spirit or something because because she stuck with it. And I, I remember I walked up like after she fell over because she was you know still moving around a little bit and i was like okay i'm I'm gonna go up and just put her put her out of her misery and i get up there and i shoot again and she got some more life to her because like she came up and like charged me and i'm like backpedaling with the shotgun and i remember one of my supervisors was over there looking and he was like i swear to god i thought she was gonna take you down (laughs) but then she fell over again and you know she expired <laughs> but yeah man so i guess my other question is i mean you deal with i guess the whole county and just to set the scene for other people listening these houses a lot of the houses aren't close to one another so it's hard to check in on some people have you ever had to i would imagine if somebody dies and i guess they don't have family or anything like that what how does that even handle it? And how do you even hear about stuff like that? Is it like the mailman or is it like, like yeah, small um, fire or something like that? One, one time we had a, a lady that had passed away in her home. The mailman is the person who called us because she had stopped getting her mail. And I think he called us several months after the fact, like the mail that started building up in her mailbox. And he was like, look, so we got there and I think it was probably, 
it was probably three months prior because we went through the mail and looked and I was like, okay, well, this is the last piece of mail that, you know, was, or the first earliest, I guess, chronologically mail that she wouldn't have gotten. So it'd have to have been in this time frame. Um, and I think it was about three or four months prior to when she must have passed away. And at, that's one of those things that really stinks because you're like, man, this person just didn't have anybody that checked in on them or, you know, family members or friends that stopped by, but you know, she must have just not had that, you know. Mm. What's the process? I guess you have to confirm that the person's dead, then you call in the uh, the coroner and you guys have a coroner? Um, as far Typically, it wasn't a coroner. You, you had to call a medical examiner and um, or a doctor, medical examiner that was licensed medical examiner or whatever, and explain the situation. And if it was an uh, elderly person and there was no really questions about what was going on, then typically you would just call a funeral home or the hospital, well, the morgue, and they would transport to the hospital for, I guess, safekeeping until they figure out what they could do with them. But Typically, you'd call funeral home uh, if they had those family members. Um, now, if it was something where there was more suspicion, then, you know, talk to a medical examiner and they would be like, well, we're going to have to do autopsy. And then the rescue squad would come pick up the body and they'd end up transporting it like down to, I think, Richmond or Roanoke mm. for us, which is like two hours away <laughs> on, the, on that when we like had to go in through the basement and like as soon as the like basement door was broken i was like nah this is not good <laughs> this, is, this is not good <laughs> was it would you say it's the worst thing you've ever smelled i mean yeah it's pretty bad and 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 i feel like i don't know what it is about the the smell of somebody that and and I mean, like, if somebody has just passed away, that's one thing. Like, you know, that's not bad. But this individual had sat for three or three four months. months. And I mean, that type of smell, like, for whatever reason, sticks to you. Like, what time of year was it? It, it, it was the summertime. So <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was not it was not pleasant. It was not pleasant. Oh. Um, but for whatever reason, that smell like. And, and you know what? I feel like nobody ever passes away in the wintertime that happens. It's it's always the summertime or at least for me, like personally in my law enforcement experience, mm -hmm. it was always summertime. Like I remember the one time I put like the fire, uh, fire department was there and I was like, y'all give me one of your tanks. <laughs> and I put on one of the tanks and had like the mask on to go in the house because it was, it was that bad. Like you just couldn't. And I remember you told me an similar story, but it had a whole different outcome with you uh, taking down the front door because you couldn't get into yes. the lady's house. Yes. Uh, somebody called and said, hey, uh, we went over to our friend's house and like at three o'clock this afternoon and we saw she was in the bed through the window and we were beating on the window trying to wake her up and she wouldn't wake up. We came back tonight at like six or seven o'clock and she's still in bed. And we tried to beat on the window again. She won't wake up. Can y'all come out here and check on her? So I'm immediately like, all right. This, and it was an older lady. And I was like, okay, well, she's probably passed away. So we go out there and, or 
I'm by myself, actually. I'm, I go out there, do the same thing. I go over to the window they're telling me about. I look, I like have to get like a, I remember there was like a plastic chair because the window sat up real high. I got like a plastic lawn chair and sat and like climbed up on the lawn chair and was like looking in the window. I was like, I see this lady laying in bed all covered up. Can't see her face. And I'm like beating on the window to the point where I'm like, I'm, I'm going to accidentally break this thing. So go around to the front door. Was uh, this uh, before or after uh, the previous woman, the three month? Yeah, oh the man, was, I, I, I was pretty new when the three month happened. Uh, <laughs> so, so I was like, I was like, okay, I, I'm getting, I'm going to get this one taken care of early. <laughs> so uh, I go around to one door and this individual is a hoarder. So she had like mounds of, I don't know what it was. I mean, some stuff was like trash bags piled up with trash, all kinds of this stuff in front of this one door. And I was like, well, I'm not getting in that door. So I go around to the front of the house and there's like a brand new door there, like brand spanking new. But the house is like, the house is not in the best condition. And I'm like, I, it's like ironic that it has such a nice door. I'm like, okay. It's like, so I try it and of course it's locked. So I call a supervisor. I'm like, look, you know, think, think Blaze like passed away. Do we have any contacts we can call to get us in the house? So I wait a while to like see if we get any like our our communication center will like look up that address and see if there's any associated numbers with it to see if somebody can come with a key or something like that or a family member and they can't find anything. So finally our supervisor's like, well, he's like, just see if you can make entry. I was like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm kick in a door. <laughs> so I go up to this this new door and and I previously had kicked open a door and it was really easy, like uh, on a, on another call. And I was like, okay, I got this. I'm going to kick this door in and I kick it and nothing happens. And I'm like, oh God. So I'm like, I'm like kicking on this door probably for like 10 minutes. I'm, I'm like worried the house is going to fall over because the house is shaking so much. Before the door. Yeah. Yeah. Before the door breaks. Finally, I'm able to get the door broken open. and walk in and I like I yell in the house and I'm saying like sheriff's office are you okay no response and you know nobody <laughs> nobody came to the door the whole 10 minutes that I was kicking on it so I'm like you know gotta be dead gotta be dead so I'm like trying to make my way through this house which again is a hoarder and and there's stuff everywhere like piled up high <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of like maneuvering through the hallways, trying not to touch anything, uh, get to the, like the bedroom and I see her laying there and I walk over and <laughs> go to like, I guess shake her at that point. And I mean, I, I barely touched, I barely put my hand on her and she lets out a blood curdling <laughs> scream. <laughs> and I probably lost five years of my life right there. I, I, I swear. <laughs> I probably jumped and put a hole in the roof because I was I was terrified. She's lucky I didn't pull my gun out and start shooting, thinking she was a zombie or something. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> but, that but yeah, that out this blood curdling scream. And after I like regain composure enough, I'm like mad at this point because I'm like, there's absolutely no way you didn't hear this. And I was like, I was like, you didn't hear me kicking in your front door. 
And she said something, I can't remember. Oh, I know what it was. She was like, my doctor gave me medicine for the gout. And it knocks me out. <laughs> and I was like, unbelievable. So <laughs> after, after I changed my pants, <laughs> I called my supervisor. And I'm like, she's alive. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> he's like so you kicked her door in I said well you told me to <laughs> so of course then I've got to like document all this stuff and, and do a report on it and say yeah I kicked in the door because I thought she was dead I, I, she wasn't even that upset about it like I, once, once, once I got calmed down I was like she's going to be ticked like that was like a brand new door or it looked like a brand new door and she was like Oh, don't worry about it. She's like, I'll, I'll get, I'll get fixed tomorrow. And I was like, well, I was like, okay. I, I think I did. I, if I remember right, I did like a, uh, a referral. Reimbursement. Well, no, no I, I actually did like a referral to adult protective services because, uh, just like the living conditions and stuff she was in, she was older, but it unfortunately never really went anywhere because they. We're kind of like, well, she, she's, she's content living in these conditions, and it's kind of her choice. So, you know, she can do what she wants, type deal. Which is another thing. Like with that, I never understand that stuff. Like, like how we can't help people with that type of issue. It's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, with all these amazing stories, I guess, how did your point of view? of law enforcement change over i guess your time like i started in 2013 and 2014 when the uh shooting of michael brown happened like there was a, a huge shift in or that i could see in how everything changed for law enforcement um you know and it's one of those things where like, I know everybody's going to have their opinion about that um, or these shootings in general, but whenever one of these things comes on the news and I see it, I, I never just jump to conclusions on that because I feel like I've been in those situations. And fortunately it worked out for me where I never have to, you know, take anybody's life, but I've been in those situations where I've been like, somebody's come close to that there are definitely bad cops out there just like any profession there's people that shouldn't be in certain professions and there's bad people out there but i think you also have to look at a totality of the circumstances and see like what the other person was doing um and if it wasn't something bad then yeah that police officer needs to be dealt with accordingly they shouldn't be a police officer anymore but i feel like just the way things have gone over the past several years, we jumped to that so fast. And I think we have to be really careful about that uh, to get, to make sure we get the right results. You know, people talk about police reform. And I hear a lot of people talk about like, basically just disbanding police departments. And I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> like I, I, I can't under, I really have a hard time. I'm understanding that thought process at all because I'm like, either you have no sense of what people are really like, like, 
and what people can do to you, or you're one of those people that just want to get by with doing that stuff to everybody. And, you know, it, it's just, just from things that I've seen, like people can be real bad, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, and and I, I wish we lived in the world where uh, you could be like uh, Andy Taylor from the Andy Griffith show, which is honestly what I wish I could be all the time when I was in law enforcement. Like that, that was my goal. But when things get nasty and it looks bad, you know, you know, it, it is bad, but there's a reason. I mean, it, it got to the point that it got to, not in all cases, but I have to be really careful when I talk to people about this because I know some people get really upset. And I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon of like disband the police departments because like I say, I've been there before and I've seen, seen how things go and how people you deal with will escalate and you're trying to do everything you can to like, no, because I mean, I can tell you personally, if I didn't have to put hands on somebody, that was great because it was a lot less work for me. <laughs> and I didn't have to worry about getting to an altercation with somebody. And then, you know, if you're already choosing to fight a law enforcement officer, that kind of tells me that, you know, I need to be really worried for myself then. Because if you're willing to do that, when I just like do something like traffic stop or something or whatever, you know, people don't want to own up to, mistakes that they've made and then they escalate it to rolling around the side of the road and 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 that's just that's just not to me you can't like justify that from that standpoint but i don't i don't know i guess there's always there's always different perspectives i try to keep an open mind to it because there's certainly instances that's happened that i've been like yeah i mean for instance the george floyd um thing the Derek chauvin i feel like he made a really big mistake and he shouldn't have done what he did. He should be held accountable for it. I'm not sure that the other officers that were on the scene, because I feel like if I remember correctly, two of them were like brand new officers in field training. So they're in a position of like, they're looking to just following the lead. Yeah. Well that, and also you run into the problem of like, if you don't do what so-and-so says that that could cost you your career, you know, they might just be like, well, this guy didn't listen to an order from me. You just need to get rid of And, and that type of stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and even, I know that I'm not both of the, or not the, not all three, but I know that one of them specifically said something to the effect of, Hey, maybe you need to move off of them. And the guy, you know, at, at that point, I'm like, He's he's done what he can. I mean, what do you want him to do? Like tackle him off of him? Yeah. I don't know. It's it's a how do you deal with it? Because I, yeah. I look at it as when I first started, I wouldn't have known what to do. Like in 2013, when I was first put on the road, if somebody had done something like that, I might have been like, hey, you need to get off of them. But if they didn't, like, what am I going to do? Tackle yeah. a, a 20 year veteran off of, <laughs> off of yeah. somebody that's already been charged with something and you know it's it's a very i think it it puts and that's that's one of those things with this reform stuff i think people need to look at it from a standpoint of i feel like the chauvin guy you know he had a history of things and he probably shouldn't have been in law enforcement when this happened and it should have been addressed and that's Mm -hmm. where people need to start looking at the administration not the actual deputies 
uh, because you get into that. And I, I've seen that too. I feel like in law enforcement, like the thin blue line thing, it's it's almost turned into where it's like a gang. I mean, unfortunately, it has. And it, it's just how far certain people want to take it. Like, you can't back up every police officer all the time, no matter what. Like, there's sometimes where people make mistakes and that needs to be dealt with. But I think sometimes the mentality from that side is, no, we support we support our boys no matter what. And that's just not a healthy that's not a yeah. healthy environment to be in. <laughs> yeah. But uh so is that kind of one of the main reasons all this um I guess the change in the attitude and I guess you kind of wanted more security with your job that you switched to yeah. uh a and, profession. And that, yeah, and I know with like sheriff's office work a little differently than police departments and at a sheriff's office there's an election every four years and you know the county or whatever decides who they want for the sheriff which it's kind of like a popularity contest and every four years that brings in turmoil into the office and people are more worried about what they're going to get uh if so-and-so is elected they're going to get a promotion if so-and-so is elected or whatever the case may be and they're trying to you know go out and to the department be like well, you need to vote for him because of this, and you need to vote for him because of that. There were three different candidates that ran in our county, like the first election cycle I experienced. And it was just, I, I found it like extremely, I guess, disgusting. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's the best way I can think about it. All of the all of the shenanigans that went on between people, you know, what they were trying to get you to do and, you know, trying to convince you to vote for this person or that person, or there was no focus or there was little focus on your job. Like more people were worried about what was going on, like behind closed doors and the political aspect of it. It it just took away from, you know, what you like to work. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I, you know, when I left the sheriff's office, because I worked at the sheriff's office for about five years, and then went to a police department, very small police department, but it's a Woodrow Wilson Rehabilitation Center. So uh, it's in Fishersville, Virginia, and they work with clients that have all types of disabilities, intellectual disabilities, physical disabilities. And that, that was, a, I really enjoyed that a lot more because it was, it was just a different type of law enforcement. Uh, I, I want to like compare it to like a school resource officer, maybe. Um, a lot of these people were adults, but they were functioning on like, like middle school or lower levels. Mm-hmm. So you were able to kind of like mentor them more, um, because a lot of people, they were adults, but they had never been in like a social setting and growing up in their lives, they were always at home mm-hmm. and like the parents kind of sheltered them from any social setting or they weren't able to go to schools because of their disabilities. And then they bring them to the rehab center and it was more like a college campus setting like they had their own dorm rooms they shared a dorm room with people uh they were exposed to opposite sexes which uh, which led to a lot of problems because <laughs> they didn't know how to handle it you know or deal with like relationships or rejection and then you'd have somebody going crazy because somebody said they didn't like them uh but sounds like a reality show yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of. <laughs> but you you were able to, or I felt like I was able to like mentor 
those kids a lot more, or I'll say kids, but adults and uh, just give them a better understanding of how to deal with certain things. And it was nice to have that type of discretion, I guess, versus when I worked on the road, it was like you had a domestic assault and you're throwing somebody in the back of the car and it's the same place you've been to five times in a row, but somehow the person's still able to get out. Uh, Nothing changes basically. Yeah. Whereas... They, they, they get out of it court. Uh, it gets dismissed for whatever silly reason or the Commonwealth attorney's office decides, Oh, well, we're not going to, you know, they've done this three times before. And usually like, if you get three misdemeanor domestic assaults, the third time is supposed to turn into a felony because you're a problem. <laughs> but a lot of times, for whatever reason, they'll like plead it down and be like, oh, it's just another misdemeanor and turn them loose to do it again. And I, I've seen the end results of some of that. And it ends up with people getting killed. I've, I'm talking with, I think I've talked with Kara. Uh, about this before and you previously interviewed her because i know that's a that's a big passion of hers um yeah supporting the domestic violence survivors victims and it you know it's really frustrating with like the court system how some of that stuff so the changes that you had to go through with your career moving on and stuff like that was there any like big milestones or events that changed your trajectory that you can kind of point to? I had to go through a federal lawsuit at one point, uh, which, which was a, a miserable experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fortunately we were investigated by the state police and our Commonwealth attorney, and they cleared us of any criminal wrong, wrongdoing, but people still have the right to civilly sue if they think that there's an issue. So they went that out and, I was actually, it was several years after the incident had happened where this came up. I was actually at Woodrow Wilson, and the way I found out about it was a friend texted me and said, hey, are you all right? Or what's going on? Uh, You're in the paper. (laughs) And I get, I'm like, what the heck are they talking about? And I look at the paper, and sure enough, there's this huge article about a lawsuit for $5 million being <laughs> being made against uh, these deputies involved in this incident. Um, and eventually myself and the other deputy were dismissed from the lawsuit because like there was a time frame where we weren't there and the other person was there. And then the other deputy, I'm not sure what the end result was because I don't know if they settled out or, or what I have. I have no, uh, and I'll I'll say this, um, I don't think that that individual did anything wrong, but I also understand his viewpoint of if he's on the line for a ton of money when he did nothing wrong and a jury says, oh, well, we think he did something wrong and he's on the hook for that. That's kind of one of those facets of like, I always say like, when I see these things on the news, I'm like, I don't want to be quick to judge because I've been in those situations and it's not always how it's made, made to look or, you know, you might see a video, but it's only 15 seconds of a 30 minute video. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah. yeah. So I think after that, I really like 
and go to the anagram thing of foreseeing future problems. I was like, really? That was just not worth it to me uh, when I know that I did everything that I could write for this person and then have to go through that um, for as long as I did. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, it was a stressful, it, it was a stressful time because, I mean, you're you're talking about you know, losing pretty much everything you have because of, of something, something that was like out that. of your control, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If I was in your situation, I probably, I would say I have bad foresight and I usually wait till external events happen to me before I make changes. Like I let other people make the changes rather than myself, which right. probably is not the best we have completely different uh, decision-making minds more like forced upon me. Um, but yeah, yours is probably the better path to uh, go than mine. Yeah. Um, so just to wrap it up, what is, and this is one, well, not wrap it up because we will have the lightning round after this question. Oh, but okay. What is something that your parents did that you would like to pass on to your children your two beautiful children and what is something that you are trying to do a little bit differently than they did? Um, I would say, I feel like just growing up, it's one of those things that, and I can't even remember like the context of where it was brought up, but I feel like it was like, just because, uh, just because the group's doing it doesn't mean it's the right thing type, type deal. I feel mm-hmm. like both of my parents kind of were always big on that just to make sure that you're uh that you're not just following the group you know um if you see a like if you see a problem with something you know i mean something like bullying or something if you see somebody being bullied or a group mistreating somebody you know don't join the group do what's right you know try to stand up for them i guess advocate for them or or whatever you can do to help them or maybe not even that but just you know, be nice to them uh, when other people aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing I I think I really want to like instill in the kids is always look just because just because the group's doing it doesn't mean it's the right thing. Um, you know, always think for yourself and try to try to make good decisions based on how we raise you. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's every parent's want <laughs> wish. Uh, it's not their priority usually. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is there anything that you would change that your parents did? Um. Or how about this? I'll phrase it this way. Is there anything that you would stress that maybe your parents didn't stress? I would say the, and this, this, I think this is like a generational thing. And I feel like our generation start to figure this out, but maybe the crucialness of a college education. Um, And that's kind of from my experience of like, I really, when I started, I really didn't have any ambitions to do college. uh, But my parents both grew up in a time where like, if you had a four-year degree, like that was, that was great. Like you could go out and get a job, but I feel like now a lot of people are seeing that they go get all these four-year degrees and they expect to be coming out working a, I don't know, 
70,000 or $80,000 job a year. And like, that's just not, I mean, I did a four year degree. And when I worked at the sheriff's office, I was making, I think I started at like 30,000 <laughs> 30, a year, like, and uh, moved up from there. So uh, there's a, there's a real, I think there's a real false sense. And, and I guess my parents didn't like say, Oh, if you go to college, you're going to make a lot of money type thing Mm -hmm. but uh they definitely uh saw the value of that in their time i'm not trying to discount that now because i'm glad i went to college and got to experience all the things i got to experience got to meet you you know Mm -hmm. made it made it all made it all worth it um but you know looking back like i'm always like man if i had done something like i guess like i look at it as uh, if I had done something like a trade or something, I feel like I would have been just as uh, maybe financially well off mm-hmm. um, as if I had done my, what I did for a four year degree, I guess. Mm-hmm. Just giving that option to the kids saying, like, don't just think about college. Like, if you have a passion that's not college, I don't want to pressure you to make you think like college is the only choice. Like, you know, if you want to go to a trade school and learn mechanics, or if you want to go learn uh, to be an electrician, you know, whatever the case may be, like a technical center or something, uh, that that's an option versus like college is where it's at. Yeah. And from what I've seen, like even, I mean, my school obviously probably had a lot more options than maybe Augusta County did yes. just because they, <laughs> they had, they had mechanical programs. They had internship programs where you can kind of, I guess, pick your path. Cause I know someone uh, who went to a different school for probably half the day and they would just work on cars. Um, yeah. But they had, I mean, nowadays they probably have even more stuff. So I, I guess the thing is start them early and vary what they do in my opinion, I guess at least. Right. Okay, sir. It is time for the lightning round. Lightning so round. I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. And these questions are purely for basically the listeners to truly understand who you are. So I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. They'll either be multiple choice or true or false. And you have to answer them, not lightning speed, but let's call it the... Yeah, you're, you're saying lightning speed. We're... <laughs> Yeah, as fast as the Zoom call will go. Okay, there will probably be some very dramatic music played over this just to make it more dramatic, just like, okay, a, good, okay. like a good Jeopardy uh, <laughs> thing. That will start right about now. Crust or no crust on sandwiches? Uh, crust. Should you go Dutch on the first date? No, you should pay it. Colorado, Italy, or Tokyo for vacation? Colorado. What is your guilty road trip snack? Mm, a Reese's fast break. Biggest pet peeve. Not being honest. You're 15 years old. What radio station is playing on the truck or car? I assume it's a truck. Yeah, it's a truck. <laughs> um, 98.5 Rock. It's like oh, classic. Okay. How many pairs of shoes do you own? Only five. Who was your first crush? <laughs> Shania Twain. <laughs> <laughs> And last question, how funny would you rate yourself from 1 to 10? 
I mean, if I think I think I'm pretty funny, you know, I'll give myself I'll give myself a six. All right, I won't go that's crazy. Good. That's a good I'll six. <laughs> well, that's it. That's it, sir. Thank you for being part of the the first ever uh, people more interesting than me lightning round. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad to have been part of it. <laughs> actually, let me give credit. It was actually uh, Aaron McCrane who gave me the idea. So, oh, okay. Well, thank you very much. I I know you're you're just chilling out in a hotel room, but you could definitely be watching something good instead of talking to me. So I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad to. If you like this week's episode of People More Interesting Than Me, please subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to share with family and friends. See you next time.